The scripture for this morning is from Matthew 28, verses 16 to 20. Please follow along as I read. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This morning, I'm finished up Gospel of Mark, and we'll be starting next week our Advent series. So, asking our director of the subject, Brian Sanders, to speak this morning about this oh so important subject. Brian? Thank you, thank you. Can you hear me? Um, so, I read an article just the other day uh, Barrow, Alaska, the northernmost city in the U.S. Um, right on the northern coast of Africa, actually in technically in the Arctic Circle. The sun set Friday, this past Friday, and won't rise again until 1.23 p.m. January 17th. So when you felt the cold air this morning, be thankful you saw the sun as well. Um, I got a call Friday, uh, just this past Friday, from uh, an old college buddy of mine. And uh, we've actually remained friends uh, over the years, uh, close proximity, even though t- at times we've lived several states away. Um, and uh, this friend called me, and it was a, a fairly short conversation. He said, you know, Brian, I just I thought of you, and I wanted to call and just, you know, thank you for our friendship over the years and, and what you've meant to me and the encouragement. And um, and he said, you know, I just want to let you know I love you. And and it, we chatted for a couple more minutes and, and moved on, hung up, and... Um, what dawned on me was the just thinking back to the relationship and the friendship he and I had, and several of us in a, in a group had over the years of, of a close connection, uh, living life together, um, encouraging and challenging one another, and, and it was a, it was a real benefit and a real encouragement over the years, starting in college and continued um, through through the years. Um, this morning, I want to look a little bit at connecting in relationship and how that relates to being a disciple of Jesus. Um, so we're going to look at the passage that was just read earlier from Matthew 28. It's quite familiar to many of us, um, but we're going to hone in on one particular part of that that, that often um, is maybe taken for granted or maybe misunderstood or, or not uh, cared for properly um, as, as we look at this passage. So um, first, when you, when you think of relationship, you, you've got to think of God himself and, and how he exists. And, and Alex, if you can put that first slide up. Um, God exists as the Trinity. So the Father, the Son, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit is God. And, and it's mysterious how the Trinity works ultimately. We, we can't wrap our minds around it completely. But we do recognize that there is clear relationship in the Trinity. Clear relationship in the Godhead. So um, we we also know from Genesis that we were created in God's image. So we actually were created as relational beings as well. So not only is God relational, He's created relational beings, 
And we know in, in, in the beginning of the creation story that, that uh, we were created to have that close relationship and connection with God. Um, and the fall, when Adam and Eve sinned, it actually created a disconnect, not only vertically with God, but horizontally with each other. There was a disconnect that, that came about that hadn't been experienced initially in creation. So there is really a, a, maybe an uphill battle, so to speak, in how do we connect well with one another. Um, it, it doesn't happen easily for us, and a lot of that's a result of the fall, even though God created us to be relational, and we need that. So um, let's look at uh, the, the passage again very briefly. In verse 17, this is Matthew 28, verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. So this is after the resurrection of Jesus, and this is really some of his last words to his disciples. And he said in verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. So he's, in a sense, passing the baton, giving authority to his disciples to say, Go and make disciples. That's the command to make disciples. And we, we tend to focus in, on that, and that is, that is really the crux of this passage. But here's what I want to focus on. He goes on to say, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. So giving them a, a new identity. Um, we know as disciples of Jesus, as we trust Him, um, we actually are given a new identity as children of God. We are adop- adopted into His family. And baptism represents that. And then verse 20, this is where I want to focus. Teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So teaching um, is really a teaching towards transformation and obedience. Because it says there, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So there's specifics that we should be teaching one another, but ultimately it's towards transformation and, and, and obedience. If you can put that next slide up. Here's a definition of being a disciple that I love. Um, and I read this about a month ago. And it stuck with me. Disciples, disciples follow Jesus, form their lives around Jesus, and faithfully join the mission of Jesus. And this actually comes from Matthew 4.19, where Jesus called his, his first disciples and said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. So um, these authors looked at 4.19 and, and really, really saw the pattern of what it means to be a disciple in that initial invitation by Jesus. <clears throat> now, the regenerated person, the one who has trusted in Christ, is transformed from death to life. It, it, Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians that we are made a new creation, so we're transformed, but we're also transforming. And we see that is that that's an act of our worship in Romans 12, 1 and 2, that we are being transformed, and it's a process, but you know, God promises that He's going to complete that process in us. So it is a process of transformation. We are transformed initially as new creation, but we are then, the process of, of what we know as sanctification is where we are changed. Now, here's a definition I want to share with you. If you put up the next slide, this is... Kierkegaard says, the Christian is on a journey toward a more fully integrated depth of understanding of oneself, their created goodness, 
sinfulness, and brokenness, as well as the benefits and perfection found in Christ. So it's this journey of transformation as God changes us um, and we can then live into the commands and, and follow Him more perfectly. Uh, but that doesn't happen immediately. So we're transformed and we're transforming. However, and if, if you put up the next slide, information does not equal transformation. And this is why I wanted to focus a little bit on the concept of teaching that we see in Matthew 28. You know, to make disciples, we, you know, there's, there's the sense of baptism, a, a change of identity, adopting into God's family, and then we are to teach. We are to teach one another. But teaching, how many of you are teachers in some capacity in here? I know there are several teachers in here. I think we know, especially as, as we've gone through education classes, those of you that teach, we know that to, to give information out does not equate to actual learning. And in fact, often to just tell somebody something, it, it misses the communication process. There's so much that can trip us up. So um, for us to say something to somebody, it doesn't mean that they've learned it and truly have transformed and changed their minds or their hearts. So that's in some sense the dilemma that we have. Well, what do we do with that? If we're, if we're called to teach, and, and teaching actually means much more than just give out information, give out information of who Jesus is, well, what does it look like? How do we do that for, for the sake of transformation? Well, I think there's a God-ordained context for making disciples, for the, the idea of discipleship as a process. There's, an, there's a, a context that God has given us, and embedded in Matthew 28 is the idea of relationship. Embedded in teaching is the idea of relationship ultimately. And these relationships can be formal or, or informal, um, but there is a sense of relationship. And in fact, if, if we were to teach apart from relationship, we're just giving out information. But, but I read an author that talked about um, teaching in the context of relationship is, is how we pass God's wondrous acts on to the next generation. Now, teaching is not always, and we'll talk about this a little bit later, it's not always from older generation to younger generation, from one generation to the next always, although we see that biblically. Um, but we also know in practice that, that we can teach one another as peers, and, and we'll experience that in a little while. So relationship for the sake of transformation takes proximity. We've got to be close to one another. And the problem is in this digital age that we live, there's a lot of information out there. You can, you can search anything and you can get it at, at your fingertips. It's not about getting the information. It's about relational, relationships that transform. How are we changed through what we might know? So it's not just getting information. It's being close in proximity to somebody, being consistent and being intentional. So we've got to be close to each other. We've got to be consistent with one another. And we've got to be intentional. That's the relationships that are going to teach towards the sake of transformation. And remember, ultimately, in Matthew 28, talking about, can we obediently follow Christ as He's called us to? Well, we need Him to change us. And the, the God-ordained context for that are these close relationships. 
See, not only is God saving the individual, those of us in this room that have trusted Jesus, He's saved us and brought salvation to us individually, but He's forming a people called His church. He, he talks about the bride of Christ. He talks about the metaphor of a body of believers. So there's that sense of connectedness with one another. Not just the individual that God wants to, to save and change, but He wants to bring us together as a people. So this, con- this God-ordained context of relationship, actually um, there's an important part of this that has to do with size. And I mentioned earlier about proximity. We need to be close to one another. I think size is quite important when you talk about how do we connect with one another. And in fact, in, in uh, sociology, there's some studies, and I, and I won't go too deep into this. Um, I, I love this kind of stuff, and, and Becky uh, made me promise that I would just quickly touch on it. So I'll try, try and do that, okay? Um, if you can put the next slide up, Alex. In sociology, there are the idea of different spaces, they call them. There's an intimate space with two to four people. And that can be intimate with a spouse. That can be intimate with some of your closest friends. Um, there's personal space, five to 12 people. Often we think of in, in a church context like a small group. Um, we think of that where we're, in a lot of ways, we're living life together. There's social space when we connect with the 20 to 50 range. And this, these numbers vary a little bit depending on the study you look at. And then there's what's known as a public space, which would be 70 to 100 plus. Um, and this right now is an example of that public space. So we're engaged together in a sense, but it's a pretty large context, is it not? And so for some of you who've been around for a long time, you, you know most faces in here, and you, you have an understanding and a knowledge of who um, everybody else is. But for some of us, we know a few people. And we're going to gravitate towards those people, right, in these social times. This is the larger public space. Now, what is noticed for the church, the American church, that often we have focused intently, time, resource, and otherwise, we have focused on the public space. And I think we've neglected the intimate, the personal, and even the social at times. We've neglected those. Now, if you look at the pattern of ministry for Jesus, he actually understood that smallness was the key. He understood the idea of proximity. And so when he called his disciples, he called 12 of them. And we also know that he actually spent the majority of his time with three of those 12. So he actually created a very small, he went from even personal to intimate, space and spent most of his time. Yes, there were crowds. There were times where he taught to crowds, certainly. There were crowds that followed Jesus. But the highlights of what we see in Scripture are those close proximity relationships that were intentional relationships. Um, we see it in Paul. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11.1, 1, he said, be imitators of me as I, as I am of Christ. Now, that can't happen necessarily from a distance. It takes that proximity, that smaller space. Paul understood kind of a familial context and connection point with people. 
Um, he recognized that people needed to connect with one another. And we see in Scripture um, the early church in, in Acts that they were connecting with one another and living life together in smaller contexts. They were sharing their possessions. They were, they were connected. They knew one another. They lived together in a lot of ways. The metaphor, the metaphor for the church, a body, a bride of Christ, we've talked about that. Um, and then we see generational relationships. Older men teach younger men. Older women teach younger women. Um, we, we certainly see that principle in Scripture. Um, so we see these relational connections. Now here's our challenge. If you can put that next slide up. Our challenge is our culture that we live in. Our challenge is that our own desire at times is to just disconnect from people. And then our culture says, it's all about me. In the sense that I don't necessarily need to connect well with others. Um, Our culture is a culture of individualism. Rugged individualism. You need to do it yourself. You don't necessarily need other people. Do it yourself. And in fact, I've shared this with a couple of people recently. Um, I heard a, at a conference several years back that back in the 50s probably, our architecture, especially in the suburbs, changed. And it used to be that homes were built with front porches. And everybody sat on these front porches and, and engaged with one another in the community. And in the 50s, at some point, it shifted to you push a button and you open your garage door and you drive your car in and you close that door as quick as you can. And then you walk in the house and you hang out in your house. And if you do go outside, it's in the backyard that's fenced in with a privacy fence and you have a nice deck and you have your, your barbecue grill or your, your smoker for your meat and you, you hang out in the backyard, do you not? And our architecture for our homes are designed to disconnect. Think about that. So it's an uphill battle of just disconnection. How do we connect with one another? So I was thinking about this. In this room, we've got extroverts, we've got introverts, and we've got people somewhere in between. I'm probably somewhere in between on that spectrum. I think the challenge for those that are, that are quite extroverted, the challenge for those is, how do I get in the... I want to hang out with people all the time, but how do I become intentional in my relationships with people? How do I create some, some sense of focus and intentionality with these, with these times that I'm connecting with other people? And the challenge for the introvert is to stop believing the myth that you don't need to connect with other people. See, for the introvert, is I'm, I'm the most comfortable and happy when I'm by myself, so I don't need to connect, and I think that's a myth. And sometimes that might be portrayed by the culture. So we have that challenge. So here's uh, what I want to do. I want to bring up Brian and Lisa, wherever you are in the crowd. I think this mic will work for you if you can. Short and tall. Short and tall, yeah. <laughs> Who's going to go first? Um, we, we have a choreographed dance for you. <laughs> Oh, just kidding. Just kidding. Um, so I asked Brian and, and Lisa to, to share just briefly um, about their experience because both of these two, and there are a lot of other people in this congregation that are connected in intentional relationships towards discipleship, towards following Christ better. 
and encouraging and challenging one another. And so Brian and Lisa are going to share just briefly about what is their context? How, who are they connected with? What is that like? Um, because we need to know, some of us need to be encouraged to say, yes, I want to connect. And those, some of us in this room are connected. We need to be encouraged to keep pressing on. Because in our culture, especially Northern Virginia, it's, it's very difficult, even just with our schedules. We're so busy, it's very difficult and easy to just say, eh, it's just too hard. I can't, I can't, you know, periodically connect with somebody that way. I've got so much going on. So I want to hear from these two. Brian, let me ask you, who, who are you, and you don't have to say names if you don't want to, but who are you connected with? What, what's the context? Um, like, we, how many people are in the group, or what do you mean? Yeah, what do you do? What, you're in a group. Yeah, so we meet every Monday. Um, there's five guys in total. Okay. Um, with our work schedules, it's usually like four that end up being there and stuff. But okay. Yeah. All right. Are they are they around your it's, age, so to speak, or the youngest guy is 21 and the oldest is 32. So it's so you're kind of right in the middle. Yep. Okay. All right. Do you kind of facilitate this group? Yep. Okay, very good. Do you, do you have kind of the maybe a biggest surprise or something like that as you've as you've met for several months now? I think and that's a hard question, but I think the biggest surprise was the how much we really needed this group, how much we really got out of it. Like I thought it'd be good, like, oh, you know, we'll get a little closer or whatever. But we really bonded over stuff, and we've really, I don't know, just developed relationships through it all. And it's been really cool okay. just getting closer to each other and stuff. Okay, great. Yeah, what's the biggest thing you've gotten out of it for you personally? The biggest thing? I think it's just the relationships, like getting closer to God and getting closer to each other, really, okay. you know, just the sense of relation and going going through it together, you know, because okay. I, I hadn't had a lot of Christian um, fellowship, you know, in my walk in the past couple of years. I had a lot, you know, I had my walk and my, but having other Christians to kind of go through stuff and just bounce things off of and know, sure. oh, you're struggling with this too, or you saw it like this. It just, it's really empowering. So. Wow. Great. Great. Lisa. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks for sharing that, Brian. Sorry. It, it's intimidating. <laughs> so who are you connected with or what's your context? Are you in a group like that or something different? So I have been really blessed to um, be a part of the women's ministry, which, um, ladies, if you're not, get plugged in. But um, we have started a discipleship mentorship group, um, some of us, and I'm in a unique and blessed position that I actually have someone that, she's really my friend, and that's Bev, and but she also mentors me in that we get together as regularly as we can, because life is busy, and we share our lives with one another. And, um, for example, yesterday we were together and, and we were talking about Titus, where it just it talks about in the scriptures that that the women teach us how to live and be reverent and and be an example, and then we teach it down. And that leads me to I am also mentoring. Um, um, sweet Chelsea, who's a college graduate, and it's, we just started, we've gotten together about three or four times, and what's really been neat and unique out of that is that she's now become kind of a mentor to my Lauren. So it's this progression 
And what is amazing about it is that both sides are blessed, whether you're the older or the younger, both both are blessed. Both yeah. are, you know, you say, you set out, oh, I'm mentoring, but so many times you were mentored too. Yeah. Do it. Well, thanks for sharing that. And I, um, it, you two can sit down, get you off the hot seat, but thank you. Um, so it's interesting. So for Brian, he is he is in um, what would be considered kind of a peer mentoring, peer discipleship context, um, which is hugely valuable. And Brian didn't share this, but he's actually involved in another group as well that would would give a different perspective on on discipleship um, as well. So hugely important. And for Lisa, she is. I would say right in the middle of what's known as as a mentoring constellation, in the sense that there's somebody who has has been there before her, um, connecting with her. She's connecting with somebody who's who's an emerging uh, disciple and leader in the church. Um, and then peer mentoring with through women's ministry is is happening. So that there, she's right in the middle of what would be considered a constellation of mentoring, or which is a a technique, so to speak, a strategy for how do we disciple one another. Um, so thank you for sharing that because I think those are ideas of how we can connect in different ways. For Lisa, several of the connection points are one-on-one. Uh, for, for Brian, it's a, it's a group of, what, five or so? Um, and it could be varying uh, perspectives. So um, here's what I want to challenge us as we move forward. God's the one that calls people to Himself and invites them to follow Him. Uh, he's the one that gives the power to change lives. He changes lives. Um, so we're not asking anybody to say, hey, would you connect with somebody to change their life? We're saying, would you lean into a relationship so that God can change you and somebody else? So I want to encourage you, at the back table, when, you're, when we're done here, at the back table there's a sign-up sheet that says, the very top, it says, I want to connect. If you're not already connected, would you consider just jotting your name down. And we would just kind of, as the leadership, we'd love to pray about it and see who we can connect people with um, and to just try to see how we can make better relational connections so that we can encourage and challenge one another to follow Christ to be changed. So that's at the back table. And, And again, for those of you that are already connected, be encouraged, stay the course, prioritize these relationships. For change. Let me pray for us. <clears throat> Father, we thank You for Your grace. We thank You that You have called us to follow You. We thank You that as You call us, that You transform us to be more like You. Lord, thank You for relationships. Lord, that You use relationships to make us look more like You. Lord, help us to connect with one another and to get over the hurdles of, of schedule and logistics and, and maybe even fear. Um, Lord, for, for Your glory, may we connect well as a church and may we follow You well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.